This podcast is presented by the Ed Narrative, a place for reflective discourse about education. Visit theednarrative.com to subscribe to this podcast and the blog. And please remember to leave a review on iTunes so that we can grow this community of educators. Welcome back for episode two. My name is Darren Ralston, and I am the producer of the podcast. Uh, for this episode, we'll be taking a look at Cognitive Coaching by Arthur Costa and Robert Garmston. I've got Neely Regan and Matt Salerno in the studio, and uh, we're going to be taking a look at it. It's kind of a really an extension of what we talked about for episode one with The Art of Coaching, and I think you'll find that uh, it's, it's really a good continuation of this topic. So uh, why don't we go ahead and jump in and get started? Here we go. Hopefully we'll be able to use these as a way to kind of cross-pollinate some of the ideas from each of the groups. Darren, you're the glue that holds us together. <laughs> the Sounds like coach. something you need the to glue coach. You got to inject very that adhesive. in your... Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, well, so let's go ahead and get started with, um, with the introductions. Uh, I have with me today two other coaches who are going to speak with me about uh, the text, and I'll go ahead and turn it over to them and let them introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Neely Reagan, and I'm an instructional coach at Albemarle High School, Jewett Middle School, and Sutherland Middle School, and I've actually had the pleasure of being an instructional coach at every secondary school <laughs> in Albemarle <laughs> County Schools except for Burley uh, Middle School, Enterprise, and Charter School, so those are the three I haven't been a coach at, but... I've had the uh, pleasure of coaching everywhere else in, in secondary land, and it's been awesome. And I'm Matt Salerno. I'm also a coach in El Morro County Schools. Similarly, I've been working with teachers in pretty much every secondary school in the county, and I've enjoyed it, and I've been enjoying looking into cognitive coaching as a way to make explicit what I'm doing with teachers and help me to work on it and get better at it the best way I can. Cool. Yeah, well, and that kind of gets to, I'd say, probably the primary question of what we're looking at today is, you know, sort of why cognitive coaching as, as, your, as your project. Uh, so if you guys wouldn't mind maybe elaborating what you see sort of, you know, the, the hopes or, or, your, or the benefits of, of taking this, uh, this approach. So I uh, personally uh, focused on cognitive coaching because for the past two years of coaching, I have focused a lot on building teacher enthusiasm, mm -hmm. encouraging teachers to take risks around the sources of their enthusiasm and excitement. And I wondered to myself, you know, that, that was a very successful goal. Like, I learned a lot from coaches. I learned a lot from reflecting with other coaches and teachers on that. And I think I did, you know, employ some strategies to help teachers to take risks around their excitement. But this year I thought to myself, how do I know that I'm being successful in building teacher capacity? Can, can you explain what what you mean by capacity? Well, because if we, <laughs> I mean, we know in our, in our coaching clusters what that means in Albemarle, but... There's a lot of terms we throw around in coaching um, and we use in our in our discourse but I don't know that we fully unpack the meaning of them and so talking to different people I realized that everybody has kind of a different view on what building capacity means and so that's actually was part of my goal is to even just unpack the term using capacity. the, mm -hmm. the cognitive coaching mm -hmm. methods and so I guess how would you like how do you since we all have a different mm -hmm. view of what capacity might mean how do you sort of conceptualize it for yourself as a coach and how do you link it together with us so after reading um, 
the first, you know, third of the cognitive coaching mm-hmm. so far. Still, right? Yeah, we're still, at, we're still early on in the goal <laughs> process. Um, I've come to understand building capacity as sort of encouraging teachers to be more self-directed, mm-hmm. and self-directed, you know, includes them being self-managing, self-monitoring, and self-modifying. So okay. that's the way I'm defining building capacity. We sometimes like to talk about how we our goal is to coach ourselves out of a job. Yeah, that's, Maureen mentioned that last mm-hmm. week too. Yeah. It's not how I've come to view building capacity. It never sat right with me, that terminology. So, yeah, it seems to me, and Matt, weigh in on this if you, if you agree or if you have a different view, but it seems to me like a lot of the time when I hear the term capacity thrown around, it, it's more about getting the, the teachers to be self-sufficient, independent of mm-hmm. what we do, which you know, I can see benefits to that, but I can also see that that seems to exclude a lot of possibilities as well. So what do you well, think? Well, I think that every different teaching context we find ourselves in will present a new challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, and so our capacities as teachers continually have to so grow. And did you say capacities or capacity? I did say capacities. I'm just, I, but I found it interesting you pluralized it. Go ahead. But our capacity, and when I talk about capacity, I think I'm talking about a similar thing mm-hmm. in uh, teachers' self-efficacy, self-directed learning. That's the capacity that I'm talking about. And I think as teachers, the context in which we work is constantly changing and mm-hmm. society in general. The rate of change is even increasing. I was actually, in preparing for this, I was looking at some uh, articles on Line, and one of the ones that, uh, I can't remember if it was Costa, one of the authors of this book had mentioned, and this was in 2008, that, you know, everything changes and sometimes what was called for in these contexts, eventually things go away. And he was even referring to the cognitive coaching approach. Sure. So. so in this modern working world that we're all finding ourselves in, what is most important, more important than pedagogy and content knowledge, I think, is the mental flexibility to be able to adapt and grow with a really rapidly changing student experience and school experience. So I think the ideas in cognitive coaching really speak to that situation right. because in that context, we're always evolving in our capacity to deal with the situation uh, we find ourselves in. And I think I define capacity in in two ways, self-directed learning. So being very powerful, professional learners that can use our thinking and our learning to solve the problems of teaching, take care of the situations that we find ourselves in in teaching, and also the states of mind described in the book that foster excellence. Okay. Uh, And those include efficacy, flexibility, craftsmanship, interdependence, and there's one more. (laughs) And that other one. That's right. What so, are well, the five I mean, ones? What I'm, uh, did you find it? Yeah. What is so it? So I'll say it. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> so the five states of mind that promote excellence in teaching are efficacy, flexibility, consciousness, interdependence, and craftsmanship. And these are qualities that I think we're all striving for mm-hmm. as teaching professionals. But since the context of teaching always changes, we always need to continue to grow. What the what the goal is then for capacity, as I'm sort of thinking out loud here, is to produce sort of those 
cognitive structures that allow for adaptability to come into play so that then you have a greater set of tools that allow you to tackle newer and mm-hmm. maybe even bigger problems or, or right. situations or goals that you have because not every right. goal is a problem. Right. And that's what I noticed um, when I decided to focus on this goal. I actually am focusing on teachers um, that I worked with last year mm-hmm. who the relationships have carried over into this year. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I felt like with this one t- teacher in particular, we were, you know, her capacity was being built. Mm-hmm. But she continued to reach out to me with more and more complex, like, pedagogical, you know, right, yeah. goals. And so I'm, you know, I'm not coaching myself out of a job with her. I'm continuing to work with her, but it seems mm-hmm. like she, we're moving on to more and more complex things. And I'm seeing her skill set, like, grow and grow and grow. She's internalizing sort of the plan, do, study, act cycle, becoming mm-hmm. more reflective about her teaching and is able to like take different tools and different strategies and incorporate them in new and different right. ways. Right, there becomes a sort of resourcefulness, uh-huh. it sounds like, through that relationship where it's like, okay, I know where to go for that thing because we uh-huh. did that or we touched on that, but I still have this thing over here. I'm, it's a mystery to me. Right. Okay. Or maybe not even a complete mystery, but she just wants a partner to reflect with or right. a partner to True. collaborate with. Um Or maybe parts of it are mysterious and she wants, you know, it just depends on what a teacher wants from a coach in that particular moment, Mm -hmm. too. You know, some teachers want us Mm -hmm. to just be collaborative partners, more collegial coaching, and sometimes they want us to be more experts. I know that's a bad, you know. I know it tends to get thrown around (laughs) Um, as sort of a no-no. Or a useful resource um, Mm -hmm. is another way of looking at it. But she, you know, she just feels comfortable, like, working with a coach Mm -hmm. to accomplish, to actualize her goals, and it seems that her goals are getting more and more complex, or the nature of them is changing over time, Mm -hmm. and more and more goals are being Yeah, And I've seen that, too, this year for me. I mean, this is my second year. And, um, you know, I've got I've got new coaching relationships this year that I didn't have last year, but I also have some that are rolling over into this year. And because of the work that I was doing with the teachers last year, these relationships are getting deeper. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're 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 becoming more, I guess, complex. Like you're yeah. saying, uh, the, the thing I'm thinking of, too, is, you know, with with coaching, we tend to focus a lot on the art of questioning. Mm-hmm. Right. And when you look at cognitive theory and how it functions in general, whether it's coaching or just in learning studies or, or psychology, the questioning aspect is really the key when it comes to how mm-hmm. we think. And being able to formulate the right questions, mm-hmm. like you got to know something. You got to know something before you can ask a good, solid question that shows, okay, I already have engaged with this part of it, but this part of it, I need to figure out. Yeah, the book really does show some important mindsets and skills in terms of questioning. And I think it focuses around the idea of consciousness and awareness Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the power of a teacher making something conscious and being aware of something through having to answer a question verbally. So when you say conscious and aware, you mean for themselves or for their students or both, or is it... For themselves, okay. as, a, as a teacher who has to think through the problems okay. of teaching. So I think in cognitive coaching, we can deliberately ask questions that help teachers bring aspects of their thinking through mm-hmm. their teaching up to the surface, and then they can more powerfully manage those thoughts and their decision-making. And, and understand the thoughts, because right. there's, a, there's a framework for that, right? Sure. What, what kind of structures um, are at play when it comes down to that process? I mean, have you been able to engage with those at all yet? I mean, like I said, we're early in the... Uh, 
approach in the goal setting sure, process? I, I have, yeah. Um, Neely <laughs> mentioned some different parts of self-directed learning. Mm-hmm. The aspects of self-managing, self-monitoring, and self-modifying. And these actually really reflect the stages of teacher thought. We're thinking before a lesson. We're thinking during a lesson. Mm-hmm. And we're thinking after a lesson. Okay. And, and there's is, that a, is that like a session with a coach before, during, and after? Is that what you're describing or more? Well, unfortunately, we can't have process. a coaching session during a lesson. Right, it might be a little Why distracting. Not? Come on. But partnering to co-teach, but but there are some questions Mm -hmm. that we can ask before Mm -hmm. a lesson Mm -hmm. that will activate teachers thinking ahead into Uh their metacognition during the lesson, right? And what kind of things they might experience and that they might have to decide. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's very powerful. I was just reading in the book about the power of rehearsal. Yeah. And so to rehearse something in advance gives us more flexibility than in the moment to deal with a lot of different variables and a lot of different stimuli and make powerful decisions. Right. Well, and I know, I mean, I mean, I started teaching as a drama teacher and an English teacher, and I mean, I don't want to get too far afield, but for me, when I've, when I've taken an acting role and I'm rehearsing the lines, I would rehearse them before every performance, before every rehearsal, so that I would always have them fresh. And what would happen is, is I would discover nuance that would allow me to respond to another character's actions that may be different from the previous iteration. Um, and as a teacher, too, the rehearsal part of it, you know, okay, so I, you know, you get into the kids' heads, you're, you're doing the, it's called theory of mind, which is another part of cognitive theory um, and, and heavy in autistic uh, spectral studies. Um, it's an empathetic putting of yourself into the mind of the learner. Okay, what kind of things are they going to wonder? What kind of things might they struggle with? I know this classroom, and they're going to have this question. And so then that sets that sort of, it may not be a formal script, but it provides a, you know, an ersatz script that you can sort of mentally model ahead of time. And it's, it's immensely helpful to have that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know I've done that many times. So would you say that deep conscious thinking about performance ahead of time frees up your mental abilities during the performance to perceive different things you might not have been able to focus on and process them and then maybe make different decisions during the performance yeah i would say that and and you know when i'm on stage you know getting back to the acting part of it what ends up happening with that much exposure to those lines is i don't even have to worry about remembering them mm-hmm. it's just something that i know is going to come out of my mouth regardless it's just a matter of how i you know, do intonation, inflection, emphasis, and pacing, right? You know, so, I mean, that's a very, you know, straightforward, literal translation of how rehearsal works. But, yeah, I mean, that's how on stage for me it has functioned, where I I walk on to this, (laughs) I'll stand... In, I'll stand at the entrance just before my cue, and I'll be like, oh, my God, I've forgotten all my lines. It's <laughs> like that horror-stricken moment, and then I walk out, and there it is. You know, it's like yeah. I walk through that doorway, and all of a sudden, it's there again. You know, that sounds a bit like the teacher anxiety dream that we've all had (laughs) in our teaching career, where we dream that we have no idea what's going on and the students are doing nothing that we want them to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think we all, as teachers, can resonate with that sort of performance anxiety and feeling before teaching. Yeah. And well, I think it's interesting, too, to even look at this idea of anxiety in regard to what we do as coaches. I mean, there's definitely anxiety in 
any given process that is performative. And, you know, looking at how, you know, this, I don't know, mode of, of coaching works, I mean, how, do you feel like it would be responsive to things like anxieties and, and stuff? I mean, you're talking about the rehearsal. I think the there's an emotional component to cognitive coaching that Matt actually mentioned earlier, which is self-efficacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a word that I needed to unpack also in my study yeah. of cognitive coaching. Um, yeah, right. But there's a component to that that is based in confidence, you know, like teacher confidence in their ability to be self-directed and self-manage and self-monitor and all of that. And so, like, I think anxiety is a very real thing in teaching. It's a very real thing for students, too, in the classroom. But that um, self-efficacy can almost, like, combat that because teachers know they have the tools they need Mm -hmm. to be successful. And if you – I like what Matt was talking about in terms of cognitive coaching is bringing teachers' cognitions into awareness, into explicit awareness. Mm -hmm. So they're not just buried inside their brain somewhere, but because they have to verbally process and think about them, they're aware of those cognitions – which makes them more confident right. and adaptable. I've been over moment. this ground, mm-hmm. at least yeah. in a modeling sense to mm-hmm. myself, like a mental model. Yeah. Right, and the rehearsal component that you, you talked about too. And um, I think that all of that can actively play, like combat anxiety. Right, yeah, and I'd like teachers. to add to that. Go ahead. So cognitive coaching, I think, is mediating the thinking that goes into teaching instead of training mm-hmm. all the behaviors that go into teaching. Is one more like proactive, the other reactive? Would you say that mm-hmm. jives with sort of what you were... Maybe on a for? systemic sort of school-based level. Question. I think the major difference is that cognitive coaching stems from a belief that we as humans have this innate ability Mm -hmm. to use our brains to problem solve Mm -hmm. in the situations that we're in. And so that's what we want to promote and harness the power of in teachers is our innate thinking capabilities. Right. So Mm -hmm. with the idea of teacher emotions as well, I was reading about cognitively, there's different kinds of thinking. There's verbal thinking and nonverbal thinking and affective thinking. Right. What and is, you, can you get to the affective? Because I'm not sure that one's readily... So affective understood. is the emotional piece. Mm-hmm. And those three different kinds of thinking can't be disassociated from one another. They're always mm-hmm. there and they're always right. connected. Okay. Um, but also, when you look at the cognitive science behind it, there are different parts of the brain that are working when you're working from emotions or mm-hmm. from oh, when yeah. you're working uh, rationally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So something I'd like to look into further is the type of intentional questioning we can use to both validate the emotional part of the brain mm-hmm. that is being activated and thinking about our teaching and also be able to move that to the rational part of the brain so the rational part of the brain can help assist mm-hmm. and not leave our emotions about teaching so they're without not help. with each other they're right. assisting each other is that sort of what you're going because those kinds of thinking are going to happen no matter what they're all mm-hmm. they're all happening but if we raise the level of rational thinking and consciousness that can aid us in the experiences that we have that have that okay. emotional so, aspect. So kind of using that as a way to sort of marry the two, that sort of uh, that rational part, uh, bringing those other, I can't remember 
the rational thinking. The thinking, yeah. Um, yeah. So bringing those other types of thinking together. Yeah, so. it's amazing how deep seated the emotional components of our brain are. You know, yeah. the amygdala. Yeah. I call the it amygdala. like the monkey brain, but the like brain. that fight or flight center that we mm-hmm. have. That's very innate to us as animals. You know. Yeah that's very real and like can overpower the rational part of the brain if mm-hmm. they're not right. brought into alignment. That's really fascinating. Just there's even through that. there's even a skill described in cognitive coaching of promoting self-coaching like you just described. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you can do that through intentional questioning with a teacher about the coaching process itself as you just is experienced mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. For example, what are some of the questions that I asked and why did I ask them? What was the purpose of some of the questions that we talked through together? Right. I think an interesting scenario for that would be to have a two coaches present. So like one coach as a meta coach scripting an interaction between a coach and a teacher. So kind of so like a the, passive mm-hmm. observer who's okay. So that the meta coach can't like so that the teacher and the coach can read through the coaching interaction. And the meta coach can actually help to mediate and mm-hmm. ask the questions around both parties to like facilitate a really reflective conversation between the coach and the teacher and bring more awareness to the teacher about how to be their own coach. Right. I think that would be a cool experience. Let's do it. Yeah, we should. We should. I'd be happy to script. <laughs> yeah. Anytime. Right or on. Or you script me. That'd be you great. Just, like tag team it. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, you're scripting now. That's <laughs> yeah. right. It's interesting because I actually just had an experience with a teacher who was trying to develop better feedback mechanisms to give to her student teacher. And so I actually scripted their debriefing of the student teacher's lesson. And then we reflected on the feedback that the teacher How did that end up? Did it go well? Yeah, it went really well. We came up, you know, the teacher, like Matt was saying, the teacher had the capacity in her all along to give good feedback. Mm -hmm. It's just that I tried to ask the right questions that would bring that capacity out and would bring her cognitions to light about how she was giving feedback. And she ultimately concluded that her student teacher responded really well to sort of suggestions like different options and the student teacher could pick among those different options um and she she talked about how it would be beneficial to give really more directive feedback at the beginning of a student teacher relationship with her Mm -hmm. and then gradually remove those scaffolds and then allow the student teacher to come to some of her own conclusions as her capacity to be more reflective was so, so as I as I hear that, and I'm thinking about the concept of feedback, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, especially when you're doing an observation or something like that, you always get so how to go, or you know, the teacher wants to know the feedback, right? And what I think ultimately, as as I think through the conversation we're having right now, I think you know, having that reflective part where the realization and, and the questions are being answered through the conversation is probably more authentic feedback than just here's what I saw and here's how I thought you you, you did mm-hmm. right um, now granted there are things where you just you know you're like yeah that probably didn't work so well because of this right if something just completely went off but you know I mean you gotta you gotta use your tools where they're appropriate mm-hmm. right but it, it seems to me like the idea of feedback becomes more genuine when you have someone engaged in the feedback mm-hmm. process rather than just being a passive recipient. Um, I'd like to add to that yeah, a go little ahead. bit. Uh, and the book does discuss a little bit about that. And what was important to me was that one skill of cognitive coaches can be 
providing that non-judgmental mm -hmm. data. Right, the uh, the objectivity, yeah. Okay. For teachers to use, mm -hmm. if the goal is a heightened um, power in thinking, mm -hmm. cognitively speaking, the less judgmental mm -hmm. the data, the more space a teacher is going to have and the more freedom they'll feel to harness their own thinking. And a lot of co the beginning part of the book in Cognitive Coaching is about building trust, just like the art of coaching or the yeah. art of coaching teams, Alina Aguilar. But that trust is so paramount to a relationship with a teacher and a judgmental form of feedback could destroy that trust right. in that relationship without giving them the power to... And then you either lose the relationship or you have to start yeah. from this zero is true. again. And the idea of cognitive coaching extends that even further mm -hmm. into the idea that trust also creates the right cognitive situation for a teacher. Right. Mm -hmm. You can't access the same parts of your brain when you are worried yeah. well, that I you can that when you are at rest. The, the modes of thinking that you were talking about earlier and you know where I was kind of taking it was you know that cognitive energy you have to devote to tamp down that one Right. Section. It's the same thing with, with if there's distrust. Right. Yeah, it's kind of like with students in the classroom also. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, adult learning theory sometimes isn't much different than kid learning theory. You mm -hmm. know, that students, when they're worried, stressed, scared of their teacher, their pathways of their brain are not open for them to learn new information and right. integrate it. So... Well, I think that takes me to something. I want to kind of change gears just a little bit. Um how do you see this approach towards coaching working directly towards student growth, student learning, student influence? This, I mean, this one, you know, it's really hard as coaches because we're removed from the classroom quite a bit with all the teachers we work with because we work directly with them. Sometimes we're in the classroom, but those are isolated situations where it may be two, three sessions, but they're with them all year. How does this approach or this methodology, how is it brought to the students in a way that creates maybe student capacity, if we want to talk capacity, or, mm -hmm. or, um, or efficiencies, or I, I don't know, performance? It's interesting because we're also reading, well, I, I don't know if you guys are, but I'm reading another book, Visible Learning for Literacy. Yeah, um, yeah I've John started Hattie. working on that too. With um, We're doing a book study mm -hmm. over at Walton around that. Yeah, we're doing a book study at Jewett on that, okay. and um, it's he isolates the effect sizes of different instructions instructional practices on student learning from mm -hmm. meta-analysis of right. different like research kind of like studies. like Marzano was mm -hmm. doing too, right. But one of the highest effect sizes that I saw was metacognition. So when students are metacognitive, mm -hmm. that leads to, and it's also one of our lifelong learner standards in Albemarle right. County Schools, which is cool, but you know, that's way more effective in student learning than a lot of other strategies that we tend to use. So, um, with teachers, you know, it's almost like having them asking the right questions to lead them to be metacognitive about their own thinking and their own practice. So um, would you say that that would also then filter down maybe to their Well, I think practice? once student, teachers know that they have the capacity to be mm -hmm. self-directed, they then have the tools they need to be able to analyze student work, to be oh, able to okay. analyze gotcha. their instructional practices, and to be able to like adjust them as necessary mm -hmm. once they've internalized that process. But I know there are some, and I haven't gotten to this part of the book, and maybe Matt has, but I know there are different types of conversations, like the reflecting conversation that can 
coaches can sort of follow these cognitive maps laid out right. in cognitive coaching that allow you to lead the teacher through a reflecting conversation so that hopefully the teacher will then begin to internalize that kind of conversation right. to analyze student learning so that they can make adjustments and optimize. Okay. But I really believe in the merits of cognitive coaching in that it is a student-centered but teacher-supportive grassroots down-up sort of idea you're making me go all kinds of directions that's right there's a lot of directions but instead of pedagogical solutions being handed down Mm -hmm. from the top down and being expected to be performed with fidelity which creates all sorts of problems including that our students are not one size fits all uh in contrast to that and teachers are not one size fits all uh by any means And so in contrast to that, cognitive coaching really values the teacher. Teaching is one of the most cognitively demanding Mm. jobs. Oh, my God, yeah. Because there are so many stimuli uh, and information coming into us before, during, and after teaching. And we have to use our whole brains and our whole selves to deal with that incoming stimuli and make the best decisions for kids that we can. So I think cognitive coaching really does empower teachers right. through more powerful thinking to be able to meet the needs of students mm-hmm. because the teachers are the ones who know the students every day. Mm-hmm. It's not things that come from the top down. They don't know the students that are in my classroom every mm-hmm. day. Right, and, and to be... I can see multiple levels of, of that being problematic when there's a top-down solution to a perceived problem problem and i say perceived because you know there's a whole process when it comes down to it about okay whose problem is it is it the administrator's problem is it the student's problem is it the teacher's problem is it everybody's problem is there really a problem there to begin with right um it may just be if there was a it could just be an off day an administrator walks into a room and is like oh what's going on here and then they leave with this impression but then that's only a blip on the whole landscape of right what's going on in that classroom. So, um, but by taking the, the teacher's strengths, and that's what we do in Albemarle's, we're a strength-based model where we, we try to operate from where the teachers really have seen success and build capacity mm-hmm. from it, um, then that allows the teacher to almost create a working classroom pedagogy that's unique to themselves. What changes they need mm-hmm. to make. And if you can bring the kids into that process, mm-hmm. too, that's even, I mean, that's even better because I, I know when I was in the classroom, I always liked to check mm-hmm. in with the kids. Okay, how'd that work for you? Especially yeah. if we were doing something that was different, you mm-hmm. know, for the first time, you know, or, or maybe even the second or third. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, let's go ahead and uh, we'll, we'll start heading towards wrap-up, but I, I want to I like to, I mean, you guys probably already know this about me. I like to play devil's advocate. Where are the limits uh, that maybe come into play with this approach? I think time is a limitation sometimes with teachers. Like, and sometimes they're neat, like what they think they want from a coach differs from what true cognitive coaching is. Like, you know, I'm a teacher. When I was teaching, bless you, Matt. <laughs> when I was teaching um, history at Albemarle High School, um, I would work with coaches, you know, and at the beginning of my coaching relationships with a particular coach, I just, like, 
was out of time. I was, you know, busy. Right. You know, I wanted the coach to come in and give me an idea for a project I could do with my kids, you know. You mean more like directive yeah. in that I way? Yeah, I wanted okay. like... Um, I think it morphed into more of a cognitive coaching relationship as our relationship progressed, but that's what I needed at first in order for me to buy into, like, you know. So, would you say that's that kind of the process time. it took, though? I mean, S- to some degree. Um, okay. I, I, you know, looking back, having become a coach, I wish I had been more, you know, <laughs> open to right. more cognitive coaching as a teacher. But I think time and like not understanding maybe the coaching model or. You mean as a teacher not as understanding teacher, it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Could be like a barrier to true cognitive coaching. Um, I don't know how you feel about that, Matt. I think that the limit to it is that when we're talking about thinking, it does seem sort of nebulous mm-hmm. and difficult to pin down. Like it, as so far as implementation of cognitive coaching? Or is that understanding you? what it is oh, okay. and how gotcha. to do it and how to receive it uh, as a teacher. Mm-hmm. So I think the limit of it is that it is somewhat difficult to explain in a way that makes it readily accessible to Mm. teachers. Or where the teacher would buy into it. Right. And so that brings up something that, as I hear you explaining that, so do you feel like you need to sort of preface when you're going in with that sort of lens, the, the cognitive lens, or is it something that's sort of a natural progression after a while? I don't, I don't know. I'm just trying to. Get I've become it. more explicit yeah. in describing how I coach and how that can meet the teacher's goal, and so to put on the table their expectations and my expectations at the get-go, yeah. and sort of talk those out. Mm-hmm. I can educate a little bit about what I'm trained to do as a coach and how that can help them get to their goal. How do you feel that they respond to that um, that sort of transparency? That depends on a number of factors, and there's mm-hmm. a really wide range. Mm-hmm. I think we're going through a big cultural shift in you our mean whole as culture. Or? No, our whole culture is going through oh, okay. a huge shift because of communication and technology. Right. So there was a world in which you could learn how to do a job and do it the same way okay. for 40 years mm-hmm. and then retire. But that world does not exist anymore because jobs change and the context changes so rapidly right. that the thinking is way more important than the tools or the craft. Uh-huh. So I think because we're in a shift culturally between those two different paradigms, There's a wide range of teachers with a wide range of experiences and expectations. And so it depends on their experience and where they come from, whether cognitive coaching, as it really puts the thinking in the forefront, seems valuable to them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it seems like, uh, Neely, when you were talking about your experience as a teacher with coaches, it seems like I could see there being a situation where there's an urgency of... Mm-hmm. one or two things that you know kind of just says okay well maybe we can talk about that in that way later but i really sure. need this mm-hmm. so like i mean i can see there being a very strategic way of employing this that that may be beneficial so i think one of the limits too with it that it is a way of acting by mediating another's thinking towards self-directed learning and that means it needs to be explicit and intentional whereas if i'm acting as a consultant or a content expert that's a different sort of exchange it's a different process for 
the consultant or person giving that advice or knowledge and for the teacher receiving it. Okay. And so it's really important to be able to make those distinctions clear with whoever we're working with. So a limit to this approach is that it's an action more than a person or a position. And I think that needs to be made really clear to teachers for them to benefit to it. Okay. Yeah, and I think Costa would argue, and I think he has in the book, that like you do need to be super transparent with teachers in the way you're cognitively coaching. Right. You don't um, want it to be like a Jedi mind right. trick or something. Yeah. But a challenge for me sometimes is that I'll enter into a partnership with a teacher who wants something urgently, you know, or yeah. wants some, like, let's plan PBL around the project-based learning around this mm-hmm. thing. And so sometimes I find myself not being as explicit as I could be about cognitive coaching, but I, right. I jump to my sort of go-to questions which are cognitive coaching questions like right. what do you want your students to get out of this experience what's the overall goal well and for i think students that, to achieve i think and that gets mm-hmm. into these gradations like you might be like just touching on a couple things that are going to inform your session mm-hmm. that are that are happening to fall under the umbrella of cognitive mm-hmm. coaching if you're going all in on the cognitive session that yeah. definitely needs to be mm-hmm. absolutely crystal clear that that's what's going on right and as your relationship partnership deepens with a teacher as you engage in more deep coaching which is another term to unpack uh, to unpack like for instance as i'm working with some teachers and i'm noticing that they're undergoing some kind of philosophical shift in their Mm -hmm. way of thinking about their practice then i can become more transparent about the benefits of cognitive coaching right. or engaging in a cognitive coaching conversation. Well, and, that, and that's where the trust comes in, mm-hmm. right? They've trusted you to get them mm-hmm. along to whatever point it's been working. And so, sure, why not? Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so, yeah, I can see that almost being like a, almost like a natural progression too, in some cases. Um, so last thing, and then, and then we'll call it good. How does this square with the Albemarle County instructional coaching model? The goal of the model for us is to support teachers in achieving their goals in high-quality curriculum assessment and instruction. And I really think the ideas of cognitive coaching have so much merit for that because I believe that if any of us teachers are more aware and more cognitively flexible to deal with the situation of teaching and the problems of teaching, that we will be more sensitive to students' needs and it will create a natural process Mm -hmm. of creating more high-quality curriculum assessment and instruction. Yeah, Yeah, and I've heard a... I've been talking about building capacity with a lot of um, of, of other coaches lately, and um, I think instead of saying that we're here to coach ourselves out of a job... One thing that I've heard a lot of coaches talking about recently is that we're here to coach ourselves out of a goal. Yeah. With a okay. teacher, which is a teacher-driven goal. And, and that's a very, I mean, okay. in all of the literature I've seen, it, it's like there's a very goal-centric purpose to any approach mm-hmm. to coaching. But cognitive coaching even does go a step beyond that because it's more like we're here to mediate teachers' thinking so that they can achieve any goal. So okay. it probably goes even beyond the idea of coaching yourself out of a goal right okay but i don't know i think that cognitive coaching is kind of the underpinning of our coaching model but it's not explicitly stated almost within our coaching mission So you'd say it squares up pretty well then 
Is, is that correct? Yeah. Kind of sounds like the, the vibe I'm catching. I do, although I do think that sometimes we also have this other aspect of coaching that's like coaching plays, you know? Oh, yeah. Ways the, the to plays, sort of, yes. you know, <laughs> the ways to sort of like engage in deeper coaching relationships mm-hmm. with teachers but not be as transparent about how we're doing it. And yeah. I think cognitive coaching is more about being transparent. So that's been some tension for me as a coach. Oh, really? Because I'm all about the coaching plays and okay, like gotcha. ways to sort of get to a more deep coaching relationship and get them thinking about their thinking and about mm-hmm. their practice but without telling them that I'm doing that. So yeah. I'm, I'm having a hard time in my coaching, actually, and it's something I need to continue sort to grapple with. Making the transition to being more transparent, like Matt mm. is in his coaching right. around cognitive coaching. So that's something there is like a little bit of tension, I think, within the model okay. around cognitive coaching. What do you think, Matt, about that sure. aspect of it? <laughs> sure. I mean, yeah, our model has a lot of different influences. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. it's not very strictly defined. Right. And, and because... I had that conversation with Maureen uh, last week, and, and I was like, you know, we've got multiple textbooks. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, just look, we've got four different groups reading four different texts that all relate to what we do. Sure. But not one of them is definitive of everything we do. Mm-mm. Sure. True. So, And part of me has trouble with that. Because I like things to be black and white. Mm-hmm. And sometimes for there to be a right answer that I can know and just go with. But on the other hand, I think with our model being not so strictly defined, it really does reflect our overall value in Elmore County mm-hmm. for autonomy right. and decisions being made as close to the student as possible. So if teachers are one step from students and then the coach working with the teacher is another step away, I think there is power in the coach being able to, from a wide variety of coaching models, um, resources, and ideas, to select what's best for that context. Yeah, True. It's almost like valuing our own, the way we want to value teachers' autonomy. It values our autonomy as coaches to make the choices that we think are best. Right. It trusts the coach to do what they think is best in the moment with the teacher. So, I mean, there are some ideas in cognitive coaching that don't necessarily jive 100% with, like, Jane Kais's differentiated right. coaching, for Oh, yeah, example. that's another one we're but looking at. I didn't mention that one. Love that one, yeah. and that was part of my goal the past year, right. last year and the year before. But it's up to us to grapple with it and be reflective and be self-directed and think about it deeply. Cool. in order to make the decisions that we think will benefit the teacher and then the student. Wonderful. So how do you guys feel? Did we do it? I feel amazing, Darren. <laughs> Me too. I enjoyed this experience. <laughs> My chair was creaking. Yeah, I know. I was like, I noticed a couple times, I'm like, she's creaking her chair. It's like, I wasn't trying to, but every little minute no. movement I made was like, and I hope that doesn't pick up. Oh, it doesn't matter. I was I about mean, to stop you know, it. In a... <laughs> but it literally, like, any time I move, like, just a little bit, yeah. it does that. I'm barely moving. No worries. Sorry. Right. Well, I mean, I'm glad that you guys were able to come in. Thanks for so, inviting me. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you. Darren. Yeah. Let's let's wrap it then. It was I'm rad. Push. It was <laughs> rad. <laughs> That's it. Episode two is done. Thanks again to Matt and Neely for coming into the studio and to uh, Dave Glover for helping set us up in there. 
it's not often that you get to uh, sit down and have these types of conversations. So I'm really happy that that I'm able to do this podcast and uh, and have people come in and just sit down and kind of talk shop for a while. Now, as far as the uh, next podcast, we're going to be taking a look at culturally responsive teaching in the brain, and I know that's uh, been a really big topic in our district, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, remember to uh, take a look at the uh, ednarrative.com. That's it. We'll catch you next time. Bye.